Oh, hi, Twitter. It's Thursday, which means it's almost the weekend, and we have a great show for you. We'll be talking to Congressman Al Green and actor Diane Kruger is here. Ooh, so exciting. So you stick right there, and we will see you on the timeline. Good morning, Twitter. I'm Alex Berg, he's Zach Stafford, and you are watching AM to DM. Ooh, and a happy Friday Eve, everyone. Friday Eve! I just learned what this term was this morning from a little website called Twitter.com, where it was trending on Twitter, obviously. You don't, you don't say. You don't say this here platform that we are in the middle of right now. It is so cute. It's so cute. I got to refix my desk over here. I have too much stuff out of there. Um, but no, you know, I love that way of thinking about a Thursday because, you know, your Tuesday thing is like Tuesday's the longest day from the yeah. weekend. Now, Thursday's Friday Eve. We just don't screw days of the week because we need what? More joy in our life, more reasons to get up out of bed and celebrate things. I right? mean, especially in this new cycle. Ooh, speaking of, here is a tweet from John Pacentino that has virtually taken over the timeline. Crowd at tonight's Trump rally in North Carolina breaks out in chance of send her back as the president attacks Representative Ilhan Omar. And here's a tweet from Parker Malloy, Trump supporters. Look, we love immigrants, but we just want them to come here through the proper channels. Also Trump supporters, send that immigrant who came here legally and through the proper channels back. Oh my God. So we both saw this breaking last night. It was a really stunning moment um, because of the content of the conversation happening, but just because it took us back to 2016 yeah. where Hillary Clinton herself was dealing with similar chants. But for some reason, you know, it may be because I'm a similar brown person like Ilhan, this felt a little more dangerous to me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was a targeted specifically about Ilhan Omar uh, as well as the rest of the squad. And it had everything to do yes. with their race, their gender, and uh, their background. Everything. So. And this president seems, this president, our president of these United States, seems to not be able to realize that these women are elected officials. They have the same rights as the men that are in the, those similar seats and as the white people in those seats. And that we should be focusing on their policies, what they're doing to change the country, to make it better or worse wherever you fall on that. We should not be talking about their countries of origin, the color of their skin, and whether that allows them to speak louder or softer in public. It's very frightening. Yeah, I mean, and talking about, you know, speaking in public, it's been interesting to see the conversation that has uh, happened uh, around using the term racist mm -hmm. this week. Um, you know, I saw uh, quite a few different news headlines saying that um, this was a new escalated version uh, of racism, uh, you know, that in, in Trump's tweets, initial tweets about the squad. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, for us, I think it's been like, actually, uh, we've seen various examples yeah. of his rhetoric that have been like this previously. And, uh, you know, we know that uh, white supremacy has always existed, mm -hmm. and you know, here we are. And not only has it always existed, but there are folks out there waiting for someone to name it and make it something that they can talk about in public. And that's what we saw last night. Trump gave them a pass to, you know, express racism at a major stage. You know, it wasn't about Trump just basking in the racism in that moment, but it's about the thousands of people around him that looked so free in saying it finally, and looked so free and happy and being able to say it and be supported around it. And it was very frightening to see so many young kids chanting things that they did not understand the gravity of. And it makes me think, if they're chanting it in that, that auditorium, that arena, where else are they chanting it? Are they chanting it in their neighborhood streets, their churches, their schools? And that's where I think danger is really lying for the next, yeah. uh, the next of us. And I think what you're getting at is that having a, a president who make, makes such uh, bold racist remarks um, essentially is giving these kinds of people permission or affirming yes. to them and modeling to them that it is an okay thing to do. Whew, that is an okay thing to do. Well, let's take it to the timeline. What was your reaction to seeing videos from the rally last night? Tweet us using the hashtag AM to DM. Well, here's a tweet from Addie Baird. 
The House has killed Al Green's impeachment resolution by a vote of 332 to 95. This is the third time Green has tried this. In 2017, it got 58 votes. Last year, it got 66. Notably today, Nadler voted to keep it alive. And joining us live from the district to talk about the resolution and more is Texas Representative Al Green. Good morning, Congressman. Good morning. It's an honor to be on BuzzFeed. Thank you both for uh, being here with me. Great. It's great to have you, Congressman. So this is your third, third failed attempt at impeachment of President Donald Trump. What made you think this time was different? Well, we don't think that we failed on either of the attempts. Um, we believe that we are marching on to victory as one. These are the words from the Negro National Anthem. We had 58 the first time, 66 the second time, and now we have nearly 100. This is a process. Uh, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And we will continue. Uh, this president cannot be allowed to, to do the things that he is doing and not go, uh, be checked. Uh, we've gone from blood and soil. Jews will not replace us. Send her back now. Uh, we don't believe that we can allow this to go unchecked and unchallenged. So we'll quit when the president uh, ceases and desists with his bigoted behavior. On that note, uh, you obviously want to identify and call out uh, the bigoted behavior. Did you do this because you legitimately thought it would pass or to make that point about the president's racist remarks? Well, I was only sure that I would get one vote. And uh, I was proud to be there to see 94 other persons vote with me. And I'm uh, styling them the noble 95, by the way. Uh, these were some very noble persons, and I believe that history will be kind to them. Uh, the effort is what's important, and I believe that we will get to 212. There was a possibility that we could have gotten to 212 last night. We but only have to have persons who are willing to vote to allow the resolution to move forward. My belief is that we will get a resolution to move forward. Either I will do it or someone else will, but I believe this president will be impeached. In fact, the Mueller report has given us more than enough to impeach him. My hope is that we will act on the Mueller report at some point. Uh, we cannot allow the paralysis of analysis to prevent us from going forward. It's important that the Judiciary Committee move forward. I believe that it will, but if it does not, then we'll bring articles with reference to obstruction of justice as well. Mm, you mentioned the notable 94, the folks that stood with you last night in the impeachment process. But Nadler, Representative Nadler, was involved in that too. What did you make of him voting to keep this alive? Well, I compliment him. Uh, we believe that people should vote um, according to what their conscience dictates. And the consciences of the 95 persons uh, dictated that they do as they did, and hopefully we will get them and more in the future. But if we only get one, we will have done the right thing. Uh, this is about what Dr. King called to our attention when he said, there are times when you must do that which is neither safe nor politic nor popular. You do it because it's right. This was the right thing to do, and I don't have any animus uh, toward any of the persons who chose to do otherwise. Uh, it's my belief that we will do what we must and let others do what they Representative, do we uh, have you there? It looks like his feed might have cut out. Uh. Um, so we'll continue to try to get him back uh, momentarily. But we have a lot of questions we want to ask him. We do. We have so many. You know, I have not heard him speak so eloquently about this being a process. He, it sounds like he is familiar with the fact that this is not going to pass like that. But it's about making uh, a point 
and really building momentum so that we're talking about this continuously and also, you know, standing on the right side of history or what he believes the right side of history is. And I think we have him coming back now. Yeah, Congressman, can you hear us? Yes. I can now. I'm sorry. I understand you lost me. There we go. We yeah. have you back. Uh, so you, are, you can continue uh, discussing what Thank you were mentioning. You. So, uh, well, as I was indicating, um, we believe that, that this is the appropriate thing to do. We're proud of Mr. Nadler and all of the other persons who associated themselves with this vote. But I also have no animus toward those who did not. Uh, we believe that we'll just continue and persons will make up their minds in the future. But I think we'll get to enough persons, a majority, such that the president will be impeached. Well, one of the things you said is you have no animus, but did anyone in Democratic leadership encourage you or tell you not to introduce the resolution? No, no one did. Uh, I have uh, had conversations with persons in leadership uh, that has been published now, but uh, no one did. And um, I'm proud to announce that leadership should do what it thinks is appropriate. I respect leadership. And I believe that leadership respects me and will allow me to do what I deem to be appropriate. By the way, everything that I'm doing is within the rules. I have not circumvented any rule. Uh, and I do believe that we should be allowed to follow the rules, which is what I'm doing. Now, earlier we were talking about uh, Trump's remarks uh, towards Representative Ilhan Omar and, of course, his tweets earlier this week targeting the squad. Do you believe that Democratic leadership has done enough to support the squad? I don't think that America has done enough to support the squad. Uh, we see women under attack, and uh, we believe that the president's words can be insightful. They can influence other people. You don't yell fire in a crowded theater, and you don't use terminology that we know to be bigoted and address persons uh, specifically with that terminology. My fear is that someone can be hurt. And for this reason, I am asking the House of Representatives to appropriate more money for all members of Congress. Leadership has uh, money appropriated for security, and I'm talking about personnel. Members of Congress, we have some as well, but we don't have enough. Uh, someone is going to be hurt if we don't address this concern. We must secure all members of Congress. I will introduce a bill to provide additional security in the form of personnel for members of Congress. Well, I even want to talk uh, more extensively about this. Here's a tweet from Salvador Hernandez. Trump supporters chanted, send her back after the president attacked Representative Ilhan Omar. The president made no effort to stop the crowd, but instead paced near the podium, giving them time to repeat the chant. What is your response to how the crowd reacted last night? Well, the president was a conductor. Uh, they were, in a sense, the choir. Um, he um, and the orchestra, if you will, and he allowed them to go on with that chant. No decent person would do this, especially now that he has been informed by Congress that this behavior is demeaning and harmful. No decent person would do this. This president is insensitive. He does not give the kind of care to what can happen to people that a decent human being would. And we believe that he is unfit to hold the highest office in the land. And the only solution that we have available to us right now is impeachment. And for those who say that we should wait and defeat rather than impeach, my retort is this. 
we must not wait. If we wait and someone is harmed, if we wait and this president does something in a visceral way that could harm uh, this entire country, he has control of the military, uh, it will be on our watch that it happened and we will hold some responsibility for it. We are now at the crossroads of accountability. Either we will hold the president accountable or at some point we will be held accountable. Maybe not today, not tomorrow, but somewhere in history it will reflect that this House had the opportunity and had the ability, because the law allows us to impeach, we had the opportunity and the ability, and we did not exercise our constitutional right to check a president, a ruthless, reckless, lawless president who disrespected the court and does not respect the House. Mm, and Congressman, speaking of accountability, the Mueller testimony is scheduled for next Wednesday. What do you think the Democrat strategy is heading into that hearing? I've not been made aware of what the strategy is, but I do believe that uh, Mr. Mueller can provide some additional information. Uh, I hope that he will. But the truth is this, the report itself is enough, is enough for Congress to act and take up impeachment. It really is enough We've had over a thousand prosecutors to say the report is enough. The report should be taken seriously and we ought to act on that report if we don't get what we're looking for from Mr. Mueller. I'm not looking for someone else to legitimize my actions. We are doing the right thing. We don't have to wait on other people to do this for us. We should never have outsourced the investigation to the Justice Department. The framers of the Constitution never intended for the Justice Department to investigate the president because the Justice Department answers to the president. This is why we can't get the information that we want. This is why we're having to subpoena persons. The Justice Department passes that information to the president. That is his Justice Department in the sense that he appoints them and they are responsible to him. We should have performed this investigation. This is our duty. Uh, we are now performing an investigation after the fact. We should have been engaged in this long ago. My hope is that we'll bring this investigation to an end and then take up the articles of impeachment. Mm. And uh, you know, uh, Congressman, you have heard that Nancy Pelosi does not believe in this path towards impeachment as a way to deal with Donald Trump. And she has her own plans on how to deal with what he's done uh, as a president. Do you feel that you both have the same goals at the end of your, both of your strategies here? My belief is this. I respect leadership. And uh, I would hope that leadership would do what uh, leadership believes to be in the best interest of our country. And uh, I believe that leadership respects me. And I would hope that leadership believes that I will do what's in the best interest of our country. So yes, our goals are the same. We both want to do what's in the best interest of the country. Uh, we may have different paths, but um, the destination is the same, to do what's in the best interest of our country. Mm. All right, well, Congressman Green, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you very much. And up next, it is time for Fire Tweets. Fire Shift Tweets. Shifting gears. Ooh. Little tone shift there. Little tone shift. Fire! Fire! 
Welcome back. It is time for Fire Tweets. But first, one of your tweets. Boring Man Getting Paid tweeted, Love this Al Green dude bringing a bill to beef up their security right now should be an absolute, absolute priority. Second should be bringing impeachment. Uh, of course, Congressman Green was just telling us about how he has plans to introduce a bill uh, to protect Congress people um, in the wake of uh, you know Trump's remarks mm-hmm. directly targeting Ilhan Omar. Which seems incredibly timely for these uh, congressional members because as we're seeing with this chance and just the energy around this, it does seem things are getting a little heightened. So we'll be following that and we'll have more updates on that bill when he does introduce, which I don't think has happened yet. Sure will. All right, I'm gonna do this, okay? Yes. Ushmeister, you tweeted. Murderer chasing me around the house. Me. Alexa, play the Scooby-Doo theme song. <laughs> I, too, want a theme song for my death. That sounds great. <laughs> no, I, a murderer is chasing me around the house, and I'm telling Alexa to play a, a child's TV show theme I wouldn't song. even remember Alexa. No, I am like, room. bye, Alexa. Good luck. Have a nice life, Alexa. Alexa's like, girl, good luck, bye. I'm I know. I'm like, I'm out. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Zero, <laughs> you tweeted. So my mom said she can take us to Area 51 or pick us up, but she's not doing both. <laughs> mom is done with your alien shit. She's like, girl, you know, you, Johnny's dad can take you there, but I'll pick you up if you survive. So If you survive. <laughs> if you make it through the night, I'll get you, girl. Yeah. <laughs> Mom's over it. Thomas, you tweeted, man, if I wanted to see what you will look like when you're old, I would just fucking cherish and tend to our friendship so that it remains constant throughout the years to come. Ooh, <laughs> If I see one more photo of people showing, like, here's my dad, here's me, here's my granddad, we're all the same. Yes, of course you're all the same. You, same this, you share the same genetics, genome, all that. I don't Facts. care. Fact, you're dropping the knowledge. And, uh, you know, I'm excited because we'll be talking about FaceApp uh, coming up yes, with a reporter are. who's going to tell us about uh, the other reasons besides maybe not wanting to see yourself as an elderly person, like why you shouldn't use yeah. FaceApp because of what it's doing with your data. Yeah, that you may be in an advertisement in Russia. Bloop. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, Jacob, you treat it. Does anyone else go through that occasional phase where toast and butter is just the tastiest fucking creation on the planet and you have to restrain yourself from eating an entire loaf of bread in 10 minutes or is it just me? It is it's not, not just you. It's not me, actually. This is not. It's not you. This doesn't apply to you. I find this very funny because I. This is why I don't keep bread in the house because I'll just eat all of it. The temptation. Because bread is a conduit to other delicious. Things. It is bread. Is really for me. It's just a conduit of butter. Like I really just want to eat butter. So yeah. Butter, know. peanut butter, Nutella, vodka. Well, <laughs> just for me. I, I'm not even gonna think about how bread is gonna be a conduit for vodka for you. I'll show you later. All right. Show, show me you. later. All right. Ready for tweet of the day? Yes. Let's do it. Okay. Tune of the day comes from Emily Vanderwerf, the plot of cats. Hey, what a bunch of cats. I'm a cat. I'm also a cat. <coughs> I too am a cat. Guess what? I'm a cat. I'm a cat. Those dogs are bad. I'm a cat. I'm a cat. I'm a cat and I'm sad. One of these cats will win our essay contest and oh, go to heaven. <laughs> to which I, I say correct. I just laugh at that because I've never seen Cats. I'm sure it's lovely, incredible. It's coming out as a movie with an actor named Taylor Swift I've never heard of. And <laughs> we've all heard of Taylor Swift. We've talked about her, but also Idris Elba and a bunch of other kind of people. Um, but uh, I've never seen it, and I assume that was the plot. Well, is it not? Guess what? I have seen Cats three times on Broadway, and oh. I, I think that is pretty close to the plot, except there's a little bit more dancing, some more costumes in there. Three I have to say, times. yeah, I really got my life watching that behind the scenes wow. you know video. What we call it made me all kinds of excited. You know what we call that, that, America, when you see one show three times on Broadway? Wealth. <laughs> Wealth. <laughs> Thanks, Mom and Dad. <laughs> well, coming up, I'm sitting down with model and actor Diane Kruger, star of a new thriller called The Operative. But up next, we're talking about some important things you need to know if you have used that app called FaceApp. The FaceApp. I don't even have the FaceApp. <laughs> 
Here's a tweet from The Verge. FaceApp is back and so are privacy concerns. Elizabeth Potts Weinstein tweeted, if you use FaceApp, you are giving them a license to use your photos, your name, your username, and your likeness for any purpose, including commercial purposes, like on a billboard or internet ad. See their terms. Whoop. Ashley Carmen, a reporter at The Verge, is joining us to talk about these terms. Good morning. Hey. All right, so FaceApp is a Russia-based app that's apparently harvesting our metadata. Uh, what do the terms allow the creators to do? So the terms are really broad and in theory could be interpreted in many ways. Um, it kind of leaves the language open-ended. So yeah, it does say like they could use your photos for commercial purposes. Um, it sort of insinuates they could do whatever they really wanted with the photos. Um, but I mean, so that language caused a lot of alarm online and people were like, what the hell? I don't want this to happen with my photos. But honestly, that's kind of par for the course with most privacy policies. Um, we don't ever really talk about it, but privacy policies are often written in a way that they're very broad because it helps them uh, avoid lawsuits if mm. something ever happens. Mm. So you would say that this is a standard practice in the tech industry, correct? Yeah, for right or wrong, like absolutely, there's room to have a discussion around privacy policies and how, and there is a discussion about how to rework them and make them more legible for people. But as far as face app concerns go, um, it's sort of like, yeah, it's not great, but it's not also that shocking. Business yeah. as usual. <laughs> well, yeah, how has FaceApp responded to this? So FaceApp has said that they don't use users' photos for commercial purposes or to sell to third-party advertisers or anything like that. They've also said that they delete users' photos within, I believe they said, 48 hours of receiving them. Um, so they, they're sort of saying, like, we actually don't want your photos. <laughs> Again, we have no idea, like, if they're actually doing this. Like, they could say they're deleting stuff and not actually be deleting it. We don't know what they're doing on their end. But that's what they say they're doing, and we kind of have to go with it. Mm. Cool, so you, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> wow, this was making really, really Great. good. So you say that they say that they aren't keeping them, but in the interest of me being powerful and wanting to control my data, can I ask them to delete them on my own? And can they, will they be forced to do so if I ask? Yeah, so they publicized yesterday that they actually have a way for users to request that uh, the company deletes their photos. So you can go, I believe it's under the settings and then like requests or something. I have it in my article, the exact route to get there. But there is a way for you to request how to get your photos deleted. And then they say that they're a little bit backlogged right now because so many people are using the app and requesting, but they will delete your data for sure if you request it. Mm. So uh, they're backlogged, which strikes me that a lot of people now don't want them to uh, have <laughs> their data. Um, how nervous realistically should people be about this? Um, I don't think they should be nervous. Like security <laughs> researchers have looked into what they're doing on the back end as far as like network and like, encryption and sort of like if they're doing anything shady, like sending the files to other locations and no one saw anything that was a big red flag. It just sort of brings up this bigger issue of how sensitive your photos are that you upload, specifically photos of your face. And we have to keep in mind that for many of us, we use Facebook, we use Instagram, we use Google, we use Twitter. We put photos of ourselves everywhere. And those companies keep them on their servers. Like they're not deleting them unless you specifically request them to. And so it, it sort of just is like your face is everywhere. If 
people were worried that the Russian government was like using these photos for nefarious purposes. And it's like, there's plenty of photos of you online. Like the Russian government literally could go to your Facebook. Like they, they don't, right. that, like that's fine. That makes me feel no better wow. about anything. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just laughing because it feels hopeless. It's it's not, hopeless. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, we're laughing oh because we don't want to Gosh, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. I mean, <laughs> sorry, we're just. <laughs> I know, because it's true. Like, we're using all of these apps. I, I really want my data to be protected. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I'm like, I, I, it's. Ugh, yeah. And it's so what funny because, like, a new what app a appears mess. and we go through the cycle again. We're like, oh, there's a new thing. Download it. Give it all your data. Oh, shit. shit. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think people don't really care that much, though. So maybe we should stop being, oh, shit about it. And instead, take it to the timeline and ask you a really fun <laughs> oh, question. <gasps> what app would you still use even if you knew it was taking your data, which you maybe are using now? Tweet us using the hashtag am to dm Instagram, you know? <laughs> Everyone's gonna go with Instagram. I know, the, well, the problem is that there's nothing comparable to it. And I actually, like, I believe we should all be deeply concerned about how our yeah. information is being used. But um, the problem is there's not an, like a suitable alternative that I feel is uh, you know, more yeah. ethical. So I participate in the platform. What do you do? I agree. Mine would be Google Maps, by the way. It's probably oh. tracking everywhere I go and probably predict where I'm going next. But I get lost in New York City and I need you, Google. Need you, Google. Hopefully you'll uh, be uh, more of a New Yorker by the day so you won't have to worry about we'll that. We'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, coming up later, Zach is talking to movie star Diane Kruger. But up next, we are talking about some interesting casting mm. news. There's a hint. <gasps> who who does this remind you of? Who's... You've got to do the turn. <laughs> Welcome back. This is from A to Z, and today we are talking Elvis Presley. But here's a tweet from Lana Del Rey Info. Info, not Lana Del Rey. Lana Del Rey is reportedly striving to play Priscilla Presley in the new Elvis biopic film, according to Radar Online. Quote, Lana feels it's a role she was born to play. She's had her agent badgering Baz Luhrmann for months now, hoping to get casted. And here's a tweet from Elle. Okay, but hear me out. Lana Del Rey as Priscilla Presley I mean, I mean, the likeness, yes, they do look alike. I didn't know this till this morning when, some, when this was brought up to me, but they are twins. Like, it is doppelganger levels craziness. And I've learned, yes. you know, Lana loves Priscilla Presley. She does. She channels her intentionally. She does channel her. And that got me thinking, like, is your likeness enough to actually carry the role? Can you just look like someone? Because I feel like this retro look that Lana Del Rey has is just so much a part of her shtick as an artist. And if you pull it all away, like how much does she really look like Priscilla? I mean, she still does, but is that really enough? Do we really want to be watching a movie Thinking no. of her as Priscilla it's the whole time. totally not enough. So I'm like swaying. <laughs> Lana Del Rey sways. You're just doing the Lana Del Rey sway. But, you know, Lana Del Rey can look like Priscilla Presley as long as, as long as a day is long or whatever that phrase is. And it does not matter because you know what matters in a film? Acting. And Acting. I don't know if, if Miss Lana Del Rey has the chops to play Miss Priscilla Presley because why? She was such a huge part of Elvis Presley's life. And also, Lana Del Rey, no tea, no shade, girl, but you don't look 14, which is when Elvis started dating Priscilla Mm, yeah, that's, that. That, that's a conversation think for a, a, another time, yeah. I'll say. Mm. But it, it did get me thinking about um, like what happens when there is a, you know, an actor or mm-hmm. a musician who has such a distinctive uh, public image, and then you have to watch them in one of these like biopic films. Yeah. It's really hard to take the movie seriously when you're just watching whoever the icon is as yeah. like an impression mm-hmm. of someone who really exists. There should be like a meter of like level of fame compared <laughs> to like when you can start acting. So like for example, you have like Beyonce in um, 
Wow. Dream girls. Dream girls. Thank you. Dream girls. So Beyonce just had just passed the fame level to where she was Beyonce in Beyonce, playing Beyonce, but not playing Beyonce. However, however, there is Selena with yeah. Jennifer Lopez before she was JLo. Perfect timing. Jennifer Lopez killed it, was fantastic, and no one thought, oh, there's JLo, Jenny from the block. Guess what? She'd never even called herself that yet. That so is right. Perfect for acting as Selena. Yeah, that really predated JLo and us thinking of her as like this mega star where it's like sometimes, you know, hard to watch JLo play like a normal person because you're like, <laughs> actually, JLo is extraordinary and it's incredible. Yeah. But now she's in the Hustler film. Yeah, so we're, Hustler so film, now so we have a well, good test. That'll be, that'll this be is good. the next test. Can JLo be an actor in Hustlers? I think she can. Yeah, really and, we, and this morning we were even talking about some other films where this has been successful or not. Yes. Uh, Walk the Line, which is Johnny Cash, June Carter Cash, Joaquin Phoenix, and Reese Witherspoon. Yes, they all really fantastic. They seem to embody those characters, and they even sang the music. And neither of them were like exactly dead ringers for those no, people. But God. again, the acting. Yes. The acting. Fantastic. Oscar, I'm assuming they got Oscar nominations. They did. Fact they did. They won. They did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There we go. So there you go. You don't need to look like the character. You just got to bring character acting. And there are other ones like this. Yes. Like, who, whoa, who L- else? Lady Gaga and Astronauts. Oh my God, Gaga. Don. <laughs> what did you mention this morning? I did talk about this this morning. Sorry, my brain today is just, whew. So <laughs> Lady Gaga in Star is Born is the only example I can think of of a really, really, really famous person playing a role. And I forgot that that was Lady Gaga for a bit. Even, and it may be because Allie's not a real person. Totally. She's a real person in my heart, I think. In, in your heart. No, but it's true. Like Allie is just this made up pop star. So mm-hmm. the whole time you're not sitting there thinking like, Lady Gaga as someone who is really, yeah. really famous. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But the one person, and then we can move on from this because I could talk about this for a while, <laughs> is in A Star is Born, when Willem and Shangela show up, I did think that's Willem, that's, that's Shangela. Because they are some of the most famous drag queens in the world. And it was obviously them. And I was like, this is their, you know, origin story. Again, They yeah. too started when Beyonce did, and now they are Willem and Shangela. Again, so. sometimes hard to parse those two things apart. So I guess time will only tell where this casting goes. Yeah, good luck, Lana Del Rey. Well, let's take it to the timeline, though, before I give her good luck. Why do you <laughs> think, who do you want to see play Priscilla Presley? Let us know using the hashtag am to dm I don't know if I really have any picks. I gotta think about this. Me either. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, anyways, up next, Zach is sitting down with Hollywood movie star Diane Kruger. This is The Sit Down, and I'm here with model and actor Diane Kruger, star of a new thriller called The Operative. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing really well. How it's, are you? I'm well. It's great to have you in the Thank suit you. I want to take. <laughs> I hear it's a men's suit that you had put for, yes. for yourself, so you may need to watch yourself when you walk out. I think this blue would look great on me. <laughs> we'll exchange shirts. I'm buying your shirt. Oh, my God. See, fashion, fashion twins, fashion yeah. twins. So let's go back to you and not me, because I could talk about me for a while. You have a new film coming out called mm-hmm. The Operative, and you play an undercover spy who is trying to infiltrate Iran's nuclear division. Mm -hmm. What was it like to step into this role considering the current political environment? Um, You know, it it was one of the reasons why I was so interested in Mm -hmm. it. Obviously, reading the script, it felt very, well, you know, I was shocked that this film was coming to me, even though it's based on a book that's about 10 years old. Um, But I remember um, in the early 2000s when all those nuclear devices were blowing up by themselves in Iran. um, And... You know, I just, yeah, given the current events, it, it feels like a very pressing movie to watch. Yeah, it does. It feels very contemporary yeah. as, we're, as we're thinking about that. And in the film, you had to give up your very famous blonde hair for it. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take you to get used to not being a blonde anymore? Uh, it's, you know, I, I don't really like to be dark-haired. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it doesn't look that great on me, but... Um, 
it kind of, you know, it, it, it makes me disappear very yeah. much, you know, and I think the, the whole point of this was trying to make me as plain and as fading away as possible because the best spies you don't remember meeting or, yeah. you, you know. So it was fun for the part, but uh, going back to Blonde was not so fun. You know, the <laughs> stages of orange were not great. Oh, it was like a, was like a gradient. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So beyond the hair color, were there any folks you were thinking of as you were creating this character? Because as you noted, you had to become a different person. You didn't mm -hmm. get to be the Diane Kruger with blonde hair. You got to have <laughs> that space to be a new thing. So who were you thinking of when you were creating this person? Um, well, my character's based on a, on a real-life person, and so I, I had the opportunity to chat with her a lot. I, I didn't meet her because she's still li living, um, you know, in a, she doesn't want to be seen. Yeah. Um, so I just, uh, you know, I looked at pictures that she sent me personally of what she looked like, and just talking with the director as well. You know, at one point we were thinking about lenses uh, mm -hmm. to make my, my eyes dark, but that felt too much. It's, it's like a process, you know, you, also I was pregnant during the filming of this, of this mm -hmm. movie, so the costumes were progressively <laughs> getting bigger and less flattering, mm -hmm. you know, so you do become a different person. Different person, constant changing. So you recently posted a quote from President Trump with this caption that I want to read. He, may, he might actually be the devil who can't spell, <laughs> which I thought was <laughs> tremendously funny. Why have you decided not to shy away from expressing your political opinions outside of acting? Well, because I'm a citizen of the world and I'm a citizen of the United States and this is where I live and, um, you know, I love this country tremendously and even though I'm not um, American by birth, um, the, the people of America have shown me so much kindness and, and you know, I, I just love living here and my daughter is American mm -hmm. and I just, I feel concerned like everybody, you know, about, about the future of the world and of this country. So, um, you know, I think it's just, as an immigrant myself in this country, I feel, I feel threatened sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, I feel, and as a woman, you know, I feel like he, he is stomping on the very things that I wanted to come here for in the first place, mm -hmm. you know? So I think it's dangerous times and especially yeah. being German, I feel like uh, a very ugly part of my country's past is mm -hmm. being reborn here, mm -hmm. you know? And do you think about that as you cross these borders? Because I know you just came from London. I do, and and you know I'm a I'm a, a child of uh, the European Union. So when I was 16, everything opened up for me. The possibilities were endless. You know, borders were were going away. Yeah. And um, I think about it for my daughter's sake when she's going to be able to work in a different country, or is she going to be able to travel? Mm -hmm. um, what is her view of the world going to be? And, and, and so you know, all of this is concerning to me, of course. Yes. And you know, you mentioned of times changing, and ch things are changing for the better and for the worse, mm -hmm. sometimes at the same time, it feels yeah. like. And something within your own industry that has happened is that we've seen the emergence of the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. As an actress in Hollywood, have you seen it get better since women have been coming forward and talking about this? In my experience, yes. Like, for example, this film I'm just doing in London is a very good example of it. It's called 355. It is uh, produced by Jessica Chastain, who, uh, and it's an, um, a female ensemble spy film. Mm -hmm. um, all women are paid the same. Mm. We all own a piece of the movie. Um, we all have children, so we're allowed to bring our family to set. You know, it's, it's a very family-friendly environment. And so because of that, everybody feels... Uh, you know, we're, we're so happy to be there and we want to go the extra mile yeah. for this movie because we're all treated equal and we're all paid equal, you mm -hmm. know. And I don't know, I just feel like that's the way forward and um, I really thank her for being the pioneer mm -hmm. and, you know, really putting her 
money where her mouth is. It's incredible. Yeah. I've seen you post about it currently, mm -hmm. but I don't know much about the content of the film. So what can you tell us about what we can expect from it? It's a fun movie. It's an action film. It's uh, it's like a Jason, female Jason Bourne, okay. I, I, I'd say, you know, and it's uh, Lupita Nyong'o, Jessica Chastain, Fan Bingbing, myself, and Penelope Cruz, and we all play spies from our respective mm -hmm. countries. Yes, and there's incredible women. You've mentioned some of them, but I just want to say the names again. You know, Lupita Nyong'o's in it, Jessica Chastain. These are badass women. Yes. What is it like to be on a set where you're working with such strong, powerful women and also creating a new way of thinking about women in film? It's a dream job. It's a, they're dream girls and it's a dream job. Um, I've never been in a film where I had so many female co-stars. It's usually just guys, mm -hmm. you know. Not that that's not good, but um, this is a real, a real movie um, about sisterhood uh, that I have not experienced and it feels really, really, really good. And, and you know, she's a great example and uh, I'm, I'm a, you know, she does it all. I'm a, in, in awe. Mm -hmm. It looks incredible. And yeah. I like, when I knew we were going to be sitting down today, I started diving into that. I was like, wait, Zach, you got to look at the operative team. Just <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, moving beyond the films that you're working on, your birthday was just recent. Yeah. And I saw a lot of headlines about your partner posting a photo of you and your, your daughter's arm. Um, <laughs> and I would love to ask you about, like, why, why do you find the, why do you feel like you have to fight so hard to stay so private? Because I see the photos everywhere and I feel like that has to be tremendously difficult to navigate them. <sighs> it is for me. You know, I, I didn't know that I was going to feel so strongly about it before I had her. Um, but as I was um, coming back from the operative and, and, and I was very heavily pregnant, I felt like I was under siege. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, there's paparazzi constantly in front of our house. Um, you know, grown men follow me around while you're heavily pregnant. As wow. soon as she was born, you know, putting on the stroller, going around, people just, you know, men shouting at her and us uh, following us in cars. It just feels like such an invasion of privacy. Mm -hmm. And I don't want her to grow up like this. I want her to be able to go to the park and be anonymous and, and choose her own life. And so we decided we're we're gonna try our hardest and it's very difficult. Um, obviously the paparazzi, I made a big pledge about it. I wrote mm -hmm. a, a long post about, please do not post these pictures. They're taken without our consent. Yeah. Um, obviously the paparazzi have not respected that, but a lot of magazines have not have chosen not to print them. So. Mm -hmm. And was it, what did it feel like to have your, your partner post that photo? Cause I feel like that had to be a big moment that you're kind of letting people in a little bit, but it's on your terms. Well, you know, we're not hiding her. Yeah. Um, we're not going to show her face. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you'll see. I've posted myself a picture of her um, on Mother's Day by the beach yes. and from the from the back. You know, um, it's just I don't I don't want to expose her, and I don't want to put her. Also, not in, I want her to be safe. That's mm -hmm. that's the other thing because we we're dealing with. Uh, some uh, very intense uh, fandom sometimes. It sounds as yeah. though. Wow, wow. Well, thank you so much for stopping by thank and blessing you for having with me. your suit and your work <laughs> and everything. And this has just been a delight. Thank you so you. much. Of course, of course. Well, the operative premieres of theaters on this Friday, August 2nd. Well, not this Friday. August 2nd is far from here, and I'm trying to ruin your <laughs> summer. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so stay tuned for more AIM to DM up next, y'all. Hi, welcome back. This is The Breakdown with Hayes Brown, and I'm your host, Hayes Brown. Well, here's a tweet from Politico. Rand Paul and Lindsey Graham played a round of golf with the president this weekend, and by the time it was over, Trump signed off on Paul's idea to meet with a top Iranian official to help reduce tensions between the two nations. Okay, if that sounds to you like a gibberish news madlib, you are not alone. 
So I'm here to break it down for you with Alex here standing in for you, the viewer. Good morning, Alex. Yeah, good morning. I, you know, it does sound like gibberish to me. I yeah. just have not been able to keep track of this story in this news cycle. It's so okay. It's I'm okay. I'm stoked to be here to ask you about it. Okay, great. So yeah, it's a really weird one, to be honest, <laughs> uh, and very complicated. Honest. So I'm going to do my best to break it down for you. So hit me. What do you got? All what right. questions do you have? Let me go to my very first question for you is, um, so what would Rand Paul be doing in a meeting with the Iranian foreign minister? So yeah, the Iranian foreign minister has been on the outs a little with the administration since the administration decided we're going to get rid of the Iran nuclear deal. We hate it. Obama did this. And it's not going to keep Iran in check from getting a nuclear weapon, right? So for the last two years, they've been putting sanctions back on top of Iran. A lot of the president's advisors have said, Keep going, keep hammering them, you got this. Iran has been trying to stay inside the deal, but they've started to push back lately. And as you remember, I was on a little while ago to talk about how we almost bombed Iran over yes. these tensions. Yes. So the idea would be that Rand Paul would actually be able to sit down with the foreign minister and have a talk, a back channel talk, about how to reduce tensions between the two countries. And who knows if that would even like work out, to be honest. Who knows if that would even work out, which uh, also made me wonder, where does Ron, uh, Rand Paul getting his job rank um, in terms of other members of the Trump administration? So uh, a lot of people are probably not going to be very happy about this, considering you have people like Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and National Security Advisor John Bolton, who both really want to hammer Iran as hard as possible. The administration said, we don't want regime change. We don't want to like kick them out. They kind of just want the people to do it by after putting enough pressure on Iran that the people of Iran rise up and take out the leaders is the like dream world to them. So to have Rand Paul come in and trying to be negotiate a easing of tension has them like not very psyched about this. Um, can you kind of break down uh, like out of like where did the Trump administration uh, officials fall on advocating for war versus advocating for negotiation? So there's not really like a known contingency inside the Trump administration who is advocating for negotiations except for Donald Trump himself. The president is the only one in his administration who has vocally said, we want to talk to Iran. We want to try and work something out with Iran. He, after he aborted that attack, he said, well, I don't want to go to war with Iran. Why would I want to do that? Which has, you know, had at least the effect of cooling that worry down some for people. But in, as far as who wants war, like I said, Pompeo, Bolton and uh, a bunch of others inside of the National Security Council, which Bolton runs, are all in favor. If not war, no one really wants to go to like long-term Iraq-style war with Iran. Nobody thinks that's the goal or what we should be doing. The people who are pushing for us to be stronger on Iran, though, they think more sanctions are necessary, even more, despite the fact that we have a ton of them. Uh, they think that Europe needs to get on board and start punishing Iran, too, for violating the deal that the U.S. dropped out of first, which makes no sense. And they want to be able to say, yeah, we were the ones who did more than anyone to hmm. help get Iran out of office. Okay, well, that brings me to my question now. Does Iran want to negotiate with the U.S.? Not really. They think... <laughs> so here's the thing. The U.S. is standing really alone on this one. Like, Iran <laughs> and everyone else who signed the nuclear deal thinks that we're the ones who acted in bad faith first by dropping out of it and saying, we're going to put those sanctions back on you, despite saying we were going to hold off on those as long as you were not enriching uranium past a certain point and a certain amount that you were stockpiling. So Iran has pushed back. Zarif has said, no, we don't want these negotiations because you broke the deal first. Uh, Europe wants us to just come back into the deal as it was. And so no, uh, no one really 
thinks that Iran wants to sit down at this time. Okay, so you mentioned uh, the deal. If there were a new deal, um, what do you think Trump would want? Okay, this is really funny and sad. Okay, I think he I'm wants. Right. <laughs> I think he wants. The Iran nuclear deal as it was signed in 2015. I think that if you actually sit down and look what Trump has said that he actually wants to get done with this deal, he wants to constrain Iran from being able to produce a nuclear weapon. He wants to be able to lift sanctions on them so they can grow and develop economically. He wants to be able to say that he is the one who prevented Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. Honestly, based on analysis uh, from experts, the only thing that Trump has said that he wants different is his name on it and maybe some provisions that would keep it in place longer than the original deal would have been in place. Mm, well, uh, I definitely appreciate the clarity on that. And I have to say, one of the stories that I did manage to catch up on was mm -hmm. that Rand Paul was awarded half a million dollars uh, from his neighbor mm -hmm. who attacked him. Yes. That put him in the perfect position to negotiate with Iran? I don't know if that's the case, but he knows <laughs> how to work from a disadvantage, I guess. I guess that's something we can say about Rand I Paul. Mean, I mean, I, if he actually, let me just say too, there's no guarantee that this meeting actually happens between Zarif for Rand Paul. The administration wouldn't confirm it. Rand Paul's office wouldn't confirm it. But Politico reported it, and they're sticking by that story. So we'll see if they actually manage to sit down together and talk in New York anytime soon. Yeah. All right, so Alex, I hope that helped to hey, break it down for you. That helped me so much. I feel like you just dropped so much knowledge on me. Always love having you uh, help explain the news to me. I am glad to do it. <laughs> so let's take it to the timeline really yeah. quickly. What else would you like to see me break down? Tweet us using the hashtag am to dm Up next, Alex and Zach are reading a few more, more of your tweets. Stick around, everybody. I might have to ask you more questions during the break. Welcome back. I just gotta say, always so great talking to Hayes, especially about Iran. Love He's Hayes. been on the show multiple times to explain Thanks. WTF is happening to us and always helps me get Hayes it. is always the smartest guy in the room and I love it. Yeah. I just wanna be in that room all the time and listen. Because being go. Iran, complicated, don't need to know. Yeah, I want should, to know, but complicated. Yeah, we just tweeted out actually, if there are any topics that uh, you want Hayes to cover, let us know. Yeah. yeah and cover. we'll force him to do it because we don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Michelle tweeted this following our conversation with Representative Al Green. Representative Al Green isn't playing around. And she's correct. He was uh, not playing he around. He is showing some fortitude and some commitment. That showed is up, impressive. Showed up with his quotes. Showed up ready to chat about his quotes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we wanted to know your reaction to the racist chants at Trump's rally yesterday. Michelle says, tears, shame, rage. Ooh, and that feels yeah. like a, a thread throughout Twitter today. Yeah. People are Indeed. definitely feeling this, this moment. Princess Leia tweeted this after our conversation about Lana Del Rey fighting to play Priscilla Presley. I don't 100% agree about the acting versus looks combo. Acting, yes, does matter. But when they don't look even remotely close, uh, see Kathleen yeah. Bozeman as Thurgood Marshall. It is jarring as all shit. It's got to be balanced in my opinion. No, I mean, that's, oh. that, that's true. That's true. Right, like that's... You want to, you also don't want to be distracted because someone does not yeah. appear to be that person at exactly. all. And one person yeah. we forgot to mention that was brought up to us during the break was uh, Jamie Foxx. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. As a jazz legend. Ray Charles. Thank you. God, playing this game. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you to our guests, Hayes Brown, Ashley Carmen, Representative Al Green, and Diane Kruger. We'll be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. Friday Eve. Ooh.